here. Hey, uh, I want to welcome those of you that are visiting with us today. And uh, over in the venue, blessings on all of you. And we always have people um, literally watching all over the world online. And we're glad you're with us. And maybe you're listening on the radio. Uh, I'm just glad you're, you're, you're with us, however you're, you're with us. And if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, all of the verses will be inside your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons or um, whatever. And let me just reiterate something uh, Pastor Bobby said. Uh, if you are a uh, young couple, you know, married less than seven years, uh, and maybe nine o'clock, this is kind of your gathering, um, we want you to at least, for give it a month, come to Saturday night, six o'clock, and uh, we've got, I don't know, 300 couples that, that are in this bracket, and we just want to gather you guys together. You're in a very unique phase of life. We want to be a blessing to you. There'll be live music over there. The message, just like today, is being beamed over into the venue. We'll be beamed over there. Pastor um, uh, uh, Mark Clements will... Uh, be there. It's going to be something special. And uh, I also believe it's going to be something very evangelistic. There's something about that age bracket. They, they have friends, people they do life with, people they hang out with. And I think it'll be really easy for them to invite other couples that are in that age bracket to come. And maybe you know a young couple. And maybe this is too big or whatever. But they'd come to something on a Saturday night. And um, so, so please take, it, take advantage of that. Um, I think Revelations chapters 2 and 3 might be uh, two of the most interesting chapters in all of the Bible, at least in my opinion, because they contain seven letters, personal letters, that Jesus wrote to seven different churches that were located throughout Asia Minor in the first century. The first letter was written to the church at Ephesus, and this was uh, the, the busy church. The second letter was written to the church at Smyrna. This was the suffering church. The third letter was written to the church at Pergama. This was the confused church. The fourth letter was written to the church at Thyatira. This was the tolerant church. The fifth letter was written to the church at Sardis. This was the dying church. The sixth letter was written to the church at Philadelphia. This was the growing church. This is the church that we're going to look at today. And then the seventh letter was written to the church at Laodicea. This was the complacent church, and next week, Lord willing, we're going to begin to look at that letter. Now, last week, uh, as we began to look at this sixth letter that Jesus wrote, which was written to the church at Philadelphia, um, I gave you two signs, two, uh, two things that kind of made this a healthy, growing church, and today I want to give you um, two more, but before I do, let's read this letter together. Okay, this sixth letter, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, nobody can open. Jesus says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are lying, though they aren't, but are lying, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, because we always have a lot of new people that are visiting, and maybe you're over in the venue or in here or whatever, I want to just quickly share with you um, the two signs that I gave last week of a growing church or a growing individual, a healthy individual. A growing church, number one, or a growing individual walks through the doors that God opens to serve him and reach the lost. It's one of the signs that you really are a healthy believer, that you're quick to walk through the, the doors that God opens to serve him and to reach the lost. Verse eight Jesus said, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And last week I explained to you that these doors that God opens are are doors or um, opportunities maybe to serve him. They're doors that God opens to reach the lost. And one of the things that made this a, a growing church or a healthy church was that they took advantage of these open doors. You know, we... um, live in the United States of America. And there are some incredible doors that are open in this country to serve the Lord. There are some uh, incredible doors that God has opened to, to reach the lost. God has done some amazing things here in this country. And as I told you last week, I'm watching those things erode. But the doors are still open. And what's amazing to me is how many churches don't take advantage of those open doors. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There's a wide open door for great work here, although many oppose me. You see, Paul was always looking for those open doors. And as The scripture says, when God opens a door, there isn't anybody that can shut it. And though there were all kinds of people in this particular town that were opposing Paul, which means they were really opposing Jesus, they were opposing God, they were opposing the work of God, it it, it didn't matter because when God opens up a door, nobody can shut it. It doesn't matter how bad the opposition, you know, is. And here in America, certainly here at Big Valley Grace, God has opened up all kinds of doors for us to serve and to reach the loss. And one of the things that makes us such a healthy church is it's unbelievable the amount of people here that serve. Unbelievable how we take advantage of the opportunities that we have to share the loss with people, whether it be at events here or whether it just be in our neighborhoods, Love Modesto, all these different things that we participate in. They're just doors by which we can share Jesus Christ with people and serve people. One of the things uh, about our serve pastor, Alan Boone, and most of you know him, is this. 
Uh, we've got a, a lot of members here, okay? You know, Saturday night, Sunday, venues. I mean, there's just a lot of people that consider this their home. And probably, you know, I, I don't know. I've never asked anybody. But I, I would uh, guess that we have a, a greater percentage of people that serve, in, you know, whether it be the choir, the orchestra, greeters, ushers, people who walk the parking lot making sure cars are safe, children's ministries, youth ministries. I mean, the list goes on and on. The, the library, Good Sam. It's unbelievable, the, the army of people that serve. There, there's a, a very high percentage of people here that have walked through the doors that God has opened to serve. And uh, a lot of churches would be happy with that percentage, and it's a lot. It's a lot. We're not happy with that percentage here. We want 100% of the people who consider Big Valley Grace their church to be serving. And we're not going to be happy unless all 100% of the people here are serving. Because one of the signs of a healthy individual, a healthy follower of Christ is, is that they're serving. They're walking through those doors that are open. And so we as pastors and leaders and elders here at the church, it's our desire that you be healthy in your walk with the Lord, that you be growing in your walk with the Lord. And so if we've got one person here who considers this their home and they're not using their gifts and talents and abilities for the purposes of the Lord, we're not, we're not happy with it. And so we're always going to be here talking about those opportunities that are available. If you don't know what your gifts or talents or abilities are, the first Saturday of every month we have what we call the shape class. And we will help you discover what that is. Because everybody has a, a role to play in the body of, of Christ. Um, you, you know, <laughs> you show me a person that's not serving or is not sharing their faith when God opens up doors. And I'll just show you a person that's just not healthy. I'll show you a, a person that's not growing. You can be a follower of Jesus and not serve. You can be a follower of Jesus and not share your faith when God opens up a door. You, you can. But you're not a healthy follower of Jesus. You're not a growing follower of Jesus. Somebody who isn't serving, somebody that isn't sharing their faith when God opens up those doors, look, wow, you, you, you just aren't healthy. And we don't always do it perfectly. No, nobody in this room does it perfectly. We've got to deal with our humanity, the old nature, the Adamic nature, whatever name you want to put on it. But that ought to be the heart of all of us. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ years and years ago, I was here at Big Valley Grace over 30 years ago. Um, I had kind of lost all my friends. Nobody wanted to hang out with me anymore because I didn't want to get drunk and I didn't want to get loaded. I didn't want to smoke weed. I didn't want to do all those things anymore. God was transforming my life. But the only friends that I had were, you know, guys that were drinking beer and smoking weed and snorting coke and doing all these crummy things. And I didn't want to hang out with them anymore. Well, I, I really didn't have any friends. And it got kind of lonely. And I remember uh, I was driving... Uh, down past Davis High School right up here. And I had my big uh, Ryrie study Bible. I had, I had a Volkswagen uh, a Beetle. And I had my big, you know, uh, four foot by four foot Jerry Falwell <laughs> Bible <laughs> sitting on my, the seat of my car. And I saw a friend who was walking down the street. And so uh, I thought, hey, I'll pick him up and give him a ride. 
So I pulled over, and as I'm pulling over, I look down, and there's this huge Bible. And I'm thinking, oh, no, my Bible. He's going to see the Bible, and he's going to, you know, freak out or whatever. So I grabbed the Bible, and I put it underneath the seat. See, I was embarrassed. So my friend got into the car. Hey, what's going on? I'm hey, nothing. Good to see you. We're driving down Tully Road, and... Um, we come to a stoplight up here. So, you know, in a stick shift, you downshift. And as I downshifted, the Bible slid out. And, it, and this was one of those big ones. And bam, it hits him on the back of the, the foot. You know, and I'm going, oh no, my Bible. And so he reaches down and he picks up this Bible and he goes, hey, is this your Bible? And I go, oh, Bible? How'd that get in here? I, 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 that's not my Bible. He goes, that's funny because your name's written right here. You know, oh, yeah, that, oh, that Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's that Bible. I didn't realize that Bible was in there. I don't know, that's probably been in here. I know. And he, said, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I want you to know something. It's kind of weird because I've been interested in what the Bible has to say. I, I've heard about Jesus. And I'm just sitting there at the stoplight. <laughs> I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm sorry, Lord. You know, here I was. You know, God opened a door, a guy walking down the street. I knew I was going to pick him up, and here was this open door, and guess what? Didn't take advantage of it. And so God, in his great love for me, and in his sense of humor, said, Rick, I'm not going to let this pass by. I love him too much, and I love you too much. And so watch this. <laughs> and there's the one. And I still remember that. I, and I use myself as an illustration of someone who, who doesn't always do it right. I haven't always done it right. But a healthy, growing church, a healthy, growing individual is somebody who is, um, is looking for those open doors to serve. They're looking for those open doors to share the greatest story in the world, that God created us in his image and longed to have a relationship with us. And then we sinned against God and, and, and it ruined everything. But God was so crazy about us, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, to rise from the grave for us, to be seated at the right hand of the Father right now for us. He longs to come into our lives and cleanse us from our sins. That's a beautiful story. There are people out there who need to hear that, hear that story. The second thing I shared with you last week was this, that a growing church or a, a growing individual relies on God's strength for everything. Um, verse 8, once again, which I think is kind of the key verse. He says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And then he says, I know that you have a little strength. Beloved, uh, in a lot of ways, this was a, a little church. They were small in numbers. They didn't have a lot of members. They didn't have a lot of money. They had a small bank account, if you were. They were poor. They didn't have a lot of resources. The, the resources that they had were small. They didn't come from the right part of town, you know, where they, they were from a, a lower class of society. So in human terms, they had little strength. 
Yet they were able to accomplish great things for God because they simply put their trust in his great strength and not their little strength. I told you last week that, that this church could have had Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 as their theme verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That was the theme verse of this church. You could have walked into their church if they would have had a building like this, and there could have been a sign up behind the pulpit or in the foyer if they would have had something like that that said, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. They were little. They didn't have much. But they had the Lord. And when you got the Lord, it's a win. And as you watch what's happening in our country, and you watch what's, what's happening with some of the laws and some of the things, you can get disheartened. You know, you can get kind of bummed out and go, man, what's going on? What's happened to our great country? There was a time when the government was on our side as believers, right? They, they chiseled in all those great verses on those buildings in Washington, D.C., and that's not the case anymore. But it doesn't matter how bad it gets. We can do everything through Christ who gives us strength as a church or as individuals. And that certainly was the case of this, of this church. So that's a, a quick or a little review of, of last week's message. And today I want to give you two more signs of a growing church or a growing individual, okay? Uh, number three, a growing church or a growing individual obeys the word of God. Once again in verse eight, he says, hey, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and then there's this phrase, yet you have kept my word. You've kept my word. Now it seems like this thought or this idea, the importance of God, you know, God's word in our daily lives has come up in most of these, these letters. There's no doubt that God's word is central to having a, a, a healthy spiritual life. Reading the word of God is critical to having a healthy, growing spiritual life. It's critical to having a healthy and growing church. Uh, studying the word of God is critical to having a healthy, growing spiritual life. Memorizing the word, meditating on the word, these are all things that are important. They're critical to having a healthy or robust, if you will, spiritual life. But most important of all, living out the word of God is critical. A lot of people know the word of God. A lot of people can read the word of God. Satan knows the word of God. You, you can take college classes that are taught by professors who don't know Jesus and they'll you know, teach the Psalms as literature. So it's easy to read it or whatever. It's, it's living it out. That's, that's the, 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 the critical thing about the, the, the word of God. To me, one of the, the great phrases in the Bible are those five words. You have kept my word. And someday when I die, I hope that my, my family, my friends, you would say that about me. That Pastor Rick kept God's word. And I thought about um, some of you. I thought, what a great phrase to be said at your funeral. D don't you want that said about you? 
Hey, you don't have to uh, like the music. You, you may not have liked my pants. You may not have liked my hair. Some of you are just bothered by my mustache that I've had for 30-something years. You, you, you can trip out about all those kinds of things, and I don't lose any sleep over that. What I care about is, did Rick keep the word? Did Rick keep the word? And that's what you ought to care about. You ought to hope that, you know, if you're having a funeral in here and you're in that pine box, your flesh is there, you know, and there, you know, you're up with the Lord and people are up here walking up and they're going to give some sort of testimony. What a great thing to hear said. He kept the word. She kept the word. And as I was studying this this week, I, I thought about my family. That's what I want my kids to say about their father. I may not have been the funnest guy to be around. They may not have liked the idea that they got punished at times. They may not have liked the, 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 the rules we had, you know, what time they had to be in bed, and blah, 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 and all those kinds of things. Dad made me do my homework or whatever all that is. But I want them to say, you know what, my dad kept the word. He did his best to keep the word. Now, once again, none of us can do that perfectly. And these human bodies we have, it just, it just, it's not going to be, you know, we're not all going to hit home runs every time we're up. But what a beautiful thing to have said about you. He did his best to keep the word. What a beautiful statement about this church. Someday, those of us that know the, know the Lord, we're, we're going to meet these, these folks. These were our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what a beautiful moment that's going to be to see these people who, under some very hard circumstances, kept the word of God. Didn't matter what was going on in their lives, they, they kept the word of God. And may that be said about us. Jesus told a story, or, or really a parable, in Matthew chapter 25 that I think goes right along with this idea of, of keeping the word. He said this in, in, in Matthew 25, verse 14. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, this is kind of a story about him and what was going to take place, him leaving, coming back, all that kind of stuff. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportion, proportionally to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who had received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used their money, their talents, their abilities, whatever. The servant whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's cool. 
The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's cool. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you did not plant them, gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid, hid it in the earth. I didn't do anything with the gifts you gave me. I didn't do anything with the shekels you gave me. I didn't do anything with the abilities you gave me. Here, here you go. But the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. I'll stop there. Um, for those of us that name the name of Jesus, you can't read a story like that, a parable like that, and not, and not just kind of stop for a second. Th those are some weighty, weighty words here. A lot is being communicated in this story. But the words that I want to hear someday is, Rick, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's celebrate. Now, I don't know how it's exactly going to work when I see the Lord face to face, okay? The Bible gives us some indication, but I don't know what it's going to be like. But how cool would it be to take your last breath here on planet Earth, and there you are, standing before the Lord, and he were to look at you and say, well done. You nailed it. Come on up here. Let's celebrate. Now, he knows nobody's going to do it perfectly. But I want to hear those words. And I got the feeling if you name Jesus as your Savior, you want to hear those words too. Look, there's only one way I'm going to ever hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Only one way you're ever going to hear those words. And that is, you've got to keep the word. Because you'll never stand before our, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, if you haven't kept the word. You'll never hear that. There's no way he's going to look at you and say, well done, if you went, well, I ain't doing it. You'll never hear it. I don't think you'll ever hear, well done, you know, good and faithful servant, man, let's celebrate if you don't walk through the open doors that, that he has for your life to serve him and share his word. Keeping the word of God is so critical for a church to be healthy and for you as an individual to be healthy. Yes, you gotta, you know, walk through those open doors. You gotta do that. You gotta, you gotta be willing to use your one life to, to, to serve in the body of Christ. He's giving you gifts. He's giving you talents. He wants you to use them. He wants us to, to reach the lost. He wants us to rely on his power and his strength. But you also have to keep the, the, the word. Peter said this. 
He said, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must, must crave spirit, pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted of the Lord's kindness. And here's the thing about that passage. I don't know how the church worked back in those days, you know, I mean, I, we got a little... We have some data that kind of tells us how it works. But I got the feeling um, Peter had, uh, maybe it was his own children, and he had this little baby. And um, when that baby got hungry, um, babies do what all babies do. They start crying out, don't they? And there isn't anything you can do to make that baby stop crying when they're hungry. You, you can tap dance, you can bring out all kinds of puppets, you can do all kinds of things, and that baby ain't gonna start, stop crying out for the nourishment that it wants. Nothing, there ain't anything. The reason why some of those numbers go up, uh, up, up here at times is because there's a baby in our nursery who's crying out for nourishment. And there isn't anything those people can do. That baby wants that food. Done deal. And that's the idea that Peter's laying out here. He's saying we as adults, we need to be like those babies that cry out for that nourishment. But as adults, we cry out for this nourishment. But what happens is, is that we get older and well, you know, I'm gonna to go to my men's Bible study and, wow, well, I got busy, I slept in. When a baby's hungry, they don't sleep in. When you're crying out, you don't sleep in. Ah, I'm gonna to go to church, ah, I'm not going to church today. I mean, after all, the Niners are on TV. You know, that, that Kaepernick guy's a pretty good guy, I don't wanna miss that game. That's not crying out. And this beautiful illustration that Peter uses, I don't know, maybe as he was writing this, the Holy Spirit's filling him and he's just watching some baby just wailing. And as soon as that baby got to the food, okay, this is good. And that's the way we're to be. That's how you keep the words when you have a, a, a desire for this. Joshua said these powerful words and in uh, Joshua chapter one, he said, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to keep the word, if you will. Then you will be prosperous and, and successful. And that doesn't, prosperous there doesn't mean prosperous financially necessarily. It could. But you want to have an, an incredible life. You want to be a growing believer. You want to live a healthy Christian life. You want to be prosperous and successful. You got you to make sure you got your nose in this thing and that you keep it. And then watch what happens with your life. Watch how God uses your life. Keeping the word of God, reading the word of God, obeying the word of God is, is critical to your spiritual health. Uh, sign number four. A growing church, a growing individual loves the name of Jesus. Once again, verse eight, you know, Jesus says, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
I know that you have a little strength. And then he says, you have kept my word. And then there's that little phrase, and you have not denied my name. As I said, Philadelphia was a, was a pretty tough place to, to have a church or to be a Christian. In other words, the, the people of the city weren't big fans of Jesus. So to call yourself a, a follower of Jesus came with lots of, of, of persecution. But this was a, a, a group of people who said, you know what? I know I'm a sinful person. I know my sin had separated me from God. I know there was nothing I could do to save myself and that it was the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that saved me. So it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm not gonna deny his name. I'm not gonna do it. One of the signs of a, of a healthy, growing Christian is that they love the name of Jesus. They would never deny the name of Jesus. Now, I want to broaden this out a bit, okay? Jesus uh, said, you, you haven't denied my name, which is a good thing, because Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. <laughs> That's a pretty weighty statement, isn't it? And I know that one of the questions I'm always asked is, you know, Pastor Rick, uh, uh, and we've all known people like this who came to church and they sang songs to Jesus and they, I don't know, put an offering in the offering basket for Jesus and they prayed to Jesus and they, they served Jesus and then all of a sudden, you know, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. I've been here 30 years. There's a lot of people who used to come to church here. They don't come to church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Some have even denied Jesus. You know, well, what's going on? Well, I don't know exactly, but Jesus gave us a little, little taste maybe of the answer. And when he told a story of different soils that seed fell on. And there was one particular kind of soil where the seed of the gospel kind of starts to bloom and it looks like you know, someone's saved, and they, they sing the songs, and they do all the right things, and then the, the troubles of life, whatever, distractions kind of choke it out, and it dies. A person like that never, had, never really had given their life to the Lord. It, it wasn't genuine. Just because you come to church and sing a song and give an offering, that, that doesn't mean anything. Judas didn't lose his salvation, folks. He never had it. Yeah, he was close to Jesus, and they bumped hands, and they probably put their arms around each other, probably had some coffee together, probably had lunch together. Yes, he heard a lot of sermons, saw Jesus do a lot of miracles, but he had never given his life over to Jesus. Just because you're close to Jesus, just because you can touch Jesus, just because you can read about Jesus, sing about Jesus, give some money to Jesus, doesn't mean you really know him as your Savior. And so a lot of times what happens is people come, they get a goosebump. Ooh, I like the music. Ooh, I like the fellowship. Ooh, I like what this church says. Ah. And it may be for a year, it may be for five years, it could be for a decade. And then all of a sudden, you know what? Boom, they're gone. And some will even say, I don't even believe in Jesus. All I know is this. Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me here on planet Earth, then I'm going to deny you before my Father. That's, that's a weighty thing. It's a good thing not to deny the name of Jesus. It's a good thing to really 
love Jesus. But I think it's way bigger than, than simply denying his name. And this is how I want to broaden this out, just, just for a moment. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, okay? Number one, you know, you'll have no other gods before me. Number two, um, you're not going to make for yourself an idol that you're going to worship. And number three, before honoring your parents and, and, and don't murder and don't lie and don't steal, before any of those, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's number three. And I happen to believe that the order of the Ten Commandments means something. And so God says, Here, here's, here's number one. You're not going to have any other gods before me. I'm it. Number, number two, don't make for yourself an idol. And back in those days, they would have carved something or made something. We can have different idols today here in America. And number three, uh, don't mess with my name. Don't mess with my name. Now, most people, when they think of this commandment, this third commandment, uh, they immediately think of, you know, bad language or cussing or profanity or, or something like that, which then causes them to relax because they don't necessarily use bad language or they at least, you know, don't use it very often. But this, this commandment has way more to it than just simply not using bad language or cussing or whatever. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 22. The Bible says that a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Beloved, every time you misuse the name of God, the name of Jesus, you're defaming his reputation, you're defaming his character, you're defaming his authority, you're taking his good name, his holy name, his righteous name, and you're making a mockery of it. He has a good name. His name is holy. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. And how you use the name of Jesus is an important thing. It's not okay with God that you somehow goof up his name. He's sensitive about his name. God says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Yes, you shouldn't deny his name, but you shouldn't misuse his name either. God takes us seriously. Listen to what God said in Leviticus chapter 24. He said, say to the people of Israel, those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. And any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Now here's the deal. You read something like that and you go, thank the Lord I don't live under the law. Because we'd all probably have to be taken out to the field out there and be dealt with very harshly. But here's the deal. Just because you don't live under the law doesn't mean that God's okay with you using his name in some crummy way. God says, don't mess with my name. Treat it with awe. Treat it with respect. And the fact is, most of us probably need to bow our heads right now and do some confessing. Because I know a lot of believers who will misuse the name of the Lord. Look, you want to defame my name, do it. 
You, you want to misuse my name, do it. You want to use my name in a crummy way, do it. But you ought to be very careful in how you use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, the big ten. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to maybe give you just a few ways that you can use his name correctly. Okay, number one, you honor the name of the Lord when you revere the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 4, we read it earlier during our, our singing. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. God's name is to be revered. It's the only name that can save you. My name can't save you. John Kitchell, great guy, can't save you. Lee Anderson, great guy. Sandy Anderson, great gal. Great people, they can't save you. Their name doesn't mean a thing. Man, I... My friend Gordon sitting back there, one of the great guys on the planet. Can't save you. Good name, Gordon. I like your name. Doesn't mean a thing. You see, it's the name of Jesus. That's the only name that will save you, and you ought to revere that name, especially those of you that call yourself a, a, a Christian. Let me ask you a question. How do you normally respond when you hear the name of God being misused? How do you normally respond when you go to the movies or you're at the park or you're at the mall or you're at a friend's house and you hear the name of the Lord being misused? Does it bother you? Let me tell you something. Based on this, it bothers God. And it bothers God a lot. A lot. The problem is, is that for a lot of people, a lot of believers, well, we just kind of gotten used to it. Happens all the time, right? Movies and sitcoms, and we just hear it so often. We just, yeah, we're okay with it. We just kind of tune it out. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Men, if somebody started trashing your wife's name, would you tune it out? Ah, you know, I don't, I don't make, it ain't that big a deal. I'll just tune that out. <laughs> How about if somebody started trashing the name of your, your, your mother? Ah, just tuning that out. No. Listen, listen to me. If somebody was trashing your wife, guys, I'd speak up. If somebody was trashing your mama, I'd speak up. So I know you would. And yet we live in a culture where a lot of believers, they, they hear this incredible name and they don't revere it to the degree where you go, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. Look, look, I know you're a follower of the Lord and so am I. We're saved because of him and his name. Let's be careful how we use his name. I, I have to watch myself too. We gotta help each other with that. There's no other name like the name of Jesus and you honor the name of God when you revere his name. Psalms 29 says, praise the Lord's glorious name. That's what we're to do with, 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 with the name of the Lord. We're, we're to praise it. We're to treat it with the utmost respect. We're to use it carefully, use it lovingly, use it as an act of horse, worship, right? Number two, the second way you can honor the name of the Lord is this. You honor the name of God when you represent the name of God clearly. In 2 Timothy says the, the Lord knows those who are his 
And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, must turn away from sin. If you name the name of the Lord, it's a responsibility that we live correctly, that we represent his name clearly. You see, your lifestyle can misuse the name of God. If you call yourself a believer, act like one. You gotta turn away from evil. You gotta turn away from sin. If you're gonna call yourself a Christian, don't drag Christ's name through the, the gutter by your lifestyle. You gotta turn away from evil or, or sin. There's that old saying, you know, your walk needs to match your talk. You honor the name of God when you represent his name clearly. Now listen, none of us are gonna do it perfectly. None of us, we can't. But that ought to be what's in our heart. We ought to wake up and go, you know what, I want to represent the name of God very clearly today. I want my, my, my walk, my talk, I, I, I want my life to somehow represent him very clearly. Peter said, however, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Some of your Bibles say that you wear that name. One of the reasons, at least in my opinion, why people struggle with giving their lives over to Jesus is because of people who are Christians in name only. They see somebody who, who claims to know Jesus, but their life is a mess, and they're living in sin, and their language is crummy, and they use the name of the Lord in vain, and they think to themselves, well, why do I need Jesus? Hadn't made any difference in that guy's life. I think one of the great ways you can honor the name of the Lord, how you love the name of the Lord, is when you live a life that clearly represents him. You see, you're a, a, a walking advertisement for God, Christian. You're, you're a walking billboard for God. And when your lifestyle or your language or whatever isn't any different than the unsaved, then, then you're just a bad advertisement for, for, for the Lord. There was a, a great story told about Alexander the Great, who was a, an amazing king. He was a, a great leader, fierce warrior. Uh, one of the things he hated more than anything were, were cowards. He was Alexander the Great, and the story's told about a day when he was in court, and he was sitting on his big chair, and, 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 and you know, his big throne, and all. they'd bring all these people in before him who had broken the law or done something, and he would make judgment. He would pass judgment on these people, and he would... All right, you got to go to prison for 10 years or, you know, off with your head or whatever. I mean, I mean he was a very powerful man. Well, one day they brought this uh, young man in and there he stood and his head was all bowed and he asked the, you know, the lawyer or whatever, hey, what, what's the charge against him? And they said, well, this man was a coward. He ran in the face of battle. And, of course, everybody knew that was the thing that Alexander the Great hated the most. Someone's a coward. And so he stood there and everybody thought, okay, this is it, this, this guy's dying, you know, off with his head kind of a thing. But he shocked everybody. He stood up and he looked at this young boy and he said, hey, what's your name? And the boy said, oh, it's Alexander. He said, what's your name? I couldn't hear you. Uh, it's, uh, it's Alexander, sir. I can't hear you. What is your name? He said, it's Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at this young man and said, young man, you change your conduct 
or you change your name. And I read that story this week, and, and, and I, I thought to myself, you know what, Here, here's the deal. You're, you're free because God gave you a free will. And mankind exercised that free will in a really crummy way in Genesis 3 when they disobeyed God. You have a free will, and you can choose to live any way you want to live, Christian. But if you're going to choose to live a crummy, sinful life, if you're going to disobey the word of God, you're not going to keep the word of God, you're not going to walk through the open doors that God has to serve him, share your faith, you're not going to rely upon the name of the Lord. Listen, here's the deal. You're free to do that. Just do me a favor. Change your name. Just change your name from Christian to something else. Just don't call yourself a believer. Because it makes it really tough for me and others that are trying to live out the faith and have those open door opportunities to share our faith. And uh, let, let me just tell you, this is going to get me all goofed up with time, but God just brought it to my mind. I used to speak at Hume Lake a lot to the high school camp when I was a high school pastor. And uh, in fact, there, there's few people that have spoke to as many kids at Hume Lake than, than, than me. I spoke there a lot. And one of the things that I used to do um, uh, early on was there was always um, a moment where I'd get up and the kids don't know who I am, you know, and so you go, hey, who wants to ask questions? You know, you want them to get to know me. And so kids would raise their hands and they'd ask questions like, hey, you know, what kind of underwear do you wear? Boxers or briefs? You know, and that's dumb questions that kids ask, right? Uh, what's your favorite color? You know, just lame questions. And I would, I'd, I'd share the, the answers. Well, in the 80s, we had that mess of a time where Jim Baker was caught having sex with his secretary and then, and then ripping off uh, people who sent their money in and paid off Jessica Hahn to keep her quiet and, and all of that. And then you had... Um, uh, you know, Jimmy Swaggart, who, who then came out and said, man, what Jim Baker's doing is bad, it's evil, it's wrong. And then we find out he's got naked dancing ladies in a hotel room. And these were the big evangelists. And so that was the big headlines, uh, you know, during a little season of time. And I remember going back to Hume Lake and, hey, kids, you got any questions? And I remember a kid standing up saying, yeah, I got a question. I want to know, are you sleeping with your secretary? See, all of a sudden the questions changed. They're watching all this shenanigans going on with those that bear the name of Jesus. And now, guess what? It's bleeding over to, onto me. And now as I get up and share the truths of Jesus and have a, an altar call moment, guess what? It, it, I, I gotta work a little bit harder because now everybody's thinking, well, you're just like all those other Christians. One of the ways, believer, you honor the name of Jesus, you love the name of Jesus, is when you represent that name clearly. Now listen to me. We're a church that understands no one's going to do it perfectly. I, I, I could stand up here for weeks on end and talk about all the times when I didn't love the way Jesus wanted me to love or I didn't show compassion the way Jesus wanted me to show compassion. Or, you know, I, I, got, a, I got a list that's a mile long. We all are going to blow it on, on some level. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. 
I'm talking about a life where you wake up and you say, God, help me today. Help me today, you know, uh, turn from wickedness or whatever. Now, the third way that you can honor the name of the Lord is this. You honor the name of God when you trust in the name of God. Psalms 33 says, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. One of the great stories in the Bible about trusting God is found in Daniel chapter three where these three young guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I mean, these guys loved the Lord deeply. Well, one day the king Nebuchadnezzar made a decree that whenever the, the music began to be played throughout you know, the city, everybody kind of had to stop and bow down and worship this golden you know, statue thing. Well, these three young guys refused to do it. And so they were thrown into this blazing hot furnace, and this is what the guys said right before they were thrown into the furnace, okay? This is great. In Daniel chapter three, it says, these three guys said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if God doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. Beloved, these three young guys nailed it. They revered the name of God, they represented the name of God, and they trusted in the name of God, and they trusted to the degree that even if God didn't rescue them from that furnace, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That was all in the hands of a, of a sovereign God. Beloved, this is one of the great ways you honor the name of God when you trust in him or rely on him completely for everything. Trust in God for your peace. Trust in God for your strength. Trust in God for your daily needs. Trust in God for your healing. Trust in God for your joy. Trust in God for your significance. And for some of you, listen to me, the thing you need to do right now is to trust God for your salvation. Once again, the Bible says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by, to, to men by which we must be saved. And my question for you is the same question I have for people last night, and that is, what are you trusting in to get you into heaven? For me, for a lot of years, I, I just believed that there was going to come this moment I'd stand before God and he'd put all the good things I had done here. And I'd done some good things. I mean, I wasn't Charlie Manson. I wasn't, you know, uh, uh, Hitler. I'd done some good things. I, I, I know. The, the, woo, woo. But then I knew there would come a moment when all the bad things I'd ever done or thought or said, and let me just tell you what I knew what would happen. <laughs> it wasn't even going to be close. I knew I was in trouble. I don't know what it is you're trusting in, but there came a moment when I understood that my sin messed up so much and that there was only one way I could have my sins forgiven and that was to trust in the greatest name that there ever was given and that is the name of Jesus Christ and I put my trust in him and he came into my life and the Bible says he cleansed me of my sin. John chapter 20, the, uh, John wrote these words, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. One of the reasons why God had John pin his words was that you would come to the realization that it's in his name that you find salvation. 
Paul said in 1 Timothy, for there is one God and there is one who brings God and human beings together. And that's the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem everybody. For some of you, the greatest thing you could do right now would be to give your life to the greatest name ever. In fact, last night, I want you to know there were a whole lot of people who did. Last night, it was unbelievable, and I want you to, to pay close attention over in the venue. Maybe you're watching online or listening on the radio. I don't care. I want everybody right now just to bow your head. Just bow your heads. I want everybody to close their eyes for just a moment. And I know that some of you have been coming for a while. And I know that God has been speaking to some of you over in the venue, in here. I know it. I know it. And I know that God is drawing you to himself right now. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ, but you know that God's drawing you. But God doesn't force himself on, on you. He's not going to make you do anything. You have to humble yourself and invite him into your life. Last night, there were a whole bunch of people who did this. And so if you'd like to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you're dead in your sins right now, your sins have not been forgiven, you've never invited Christ into your life, I just want you to pray this prayer in your heart right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I, I understand. I, I need you, Jesus, to come into my life right now. Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you restore the relationship that sin broke with God? Restore it. Today, I want to begin a relationship with you, Jesus. Now, while everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed, and obviously I can't see you over in the venue, but if you prayed that prayer, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the greatest name ever, would you just raise your hand that, that, that I might see it and rejoice with, with you? Yeah, right there. Just, and you can look up. Make sure I see your face. I know a couple over here. Anybody else? Just make sure I see you. Yeah, I got you right here. Cool. Anybody else? Just make sure I see your hand. Yeah, way over there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, great. Super back there. Okay, everybody look up. Everybody over in the venue, go ahead and look up here. This is what I want everybody to do. Everybody does this. I don't care whether you've been here um, a week, a month, 10 years, doesn't matter to me. Everybody pulls this card out, okay? And I want everybody just to kind of fill out the information that's on here. If this is your first time here, I want you just to mark that little box. Hey, this is my first time here. And, and that, 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 those cards are given to me, and I just send you a little email saying thanks for coming. It's a polite thing to do if you're visiting with us. And you're welcome here at any moment, really. If this is your second time here, just let me know. Hey, I actually came back. That's also very encouraging. You know, a lot of people don't come back. <laughs> and so if I, you came back, it makes me happy. And then if you've got something going on in your life, you know, um, this is a big church. We've got gatherings that meet all over, all different times. And we're, we're big. We're not big enough. I'm always being hassled about how big we are. We're not big enough. There's a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus Christ. A lot of people in our town who Jesus Christ came and died for, who, who need Christ. And I don't want to get bigger just to get bigger. I want to get bigger just because there are people out there who need Jesus. But one of the ways that we stay small, one of the ways that we as the pastors and elders can, can, can kind of connect with you is if you've got a prayer request. 
Hey, pray for my marriage. Pray for my husband. Pray for my wife. Pray for my children. Pray for my grandpa. Hey, something's going on health-wise. Whatever. Just Or give me a, hey, I'm thankful for the children's ministries that watch my children. Whatever. You can write anything you want on it. Now, there were some of you in here, and there were some last week over in the venue. This is what I'd like for you to do. Is just you're, you're gonna you're gonna just put a little star in this corner. If you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, okay, you're gonna put a little star in the corner. And here's what's gonna happen over in the venue in here. Th- those are gonna come to me, and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send you a little little note. I want to rejoice with you in in this decision that that you've made, and I also then want to invite you to what we call the follow class. It's really the, the place where you get to learn about this new relationship that, that you've just entered into. And th- this is important. I think last year, Pastor Rooks over, I think we had hundreds of people that went through this last year. Every year we have people go through, lots of people. And listen to me, if that decision that you made was genuine, and I don't know whether it was or not, I don't know. But if it really was, if you really understand the, 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 the severity of sin and how beautiful the name of Jesus is, if you really get that, you'll put that little star on that card and you'll make sure I get that so that I can personally invite you to this. Now, you may not be able to come. Wednesdays may not work for you. We have them on Sundays sometimes. But at least I could personally invite you. I can be praying for you. The pastors, the elders of our church can be, can be praying for you. And so, so I, I want you to, to look at this. Maybe you're here and you gave your life to the Lord last week or a couple of weeks ago. You're new in the faith and you've never gone through our follow class. You, you, you need to do that. This is the class we want you to go to. It's seven weeks long. And it's, it's how you begin to learn about Jesus. You know, for those of us that are married, there was a moment when, you know, I didn't know my wife. There was a moment when Lee didn't know Sandy. Sandy didn't know Lee. But they met, got married, but there was a process by which they went and had coffee and had dinner and and they went to the park and they took walks and a relationship grew. Well, the same thing is with with this new relationship you have with Jesus. You got to start dating. You got to get to know this Jesus and and, and who he is. And so the follow class is important for all of you, whether you're over in the venue or you're in, in here. And I'm going to ask all of our hosts and hostesses to come forward. If you'll pass those cards uh, into the center right now, just pass them all in. Uh, they're, they're just going to walk down the aisles here, and they'll, they'll pick those up, okay? So everybody's going to fill these cards out here real quick. Over in the venue, we're going to do the same thing. You just fill the card out, and, and they're, they're going to walk forward, and, and they'll pick those up. And what's super important to me is that you put a star on there, okay? And then I'm going to pray. And uh, 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 rejoice in, in this moment, especially for those of you that gave your life to the greatest name ever, the, the, the name of, of Jesus Christ. Everybody, um, I want you to stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand over in the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And in these seven letters, wow, there's, there's just a lot there, God. And I, I'm, I'm not even scratching the surface. There's so much there. But I'm thankful for the little we are looking at and how you're using it to help transform us, challenge us, convict us. I'm thankful for those today, God, that made a profession of faith. 
I look forward to getting those cards and sending them a little uh, email letter congratulating them, and encouraging them to get involved. Thank you, Jesus, for being good to us. Pour out your favor on us today, Lord, and I pray this in the name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, live for Jesus, okay?